I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hey, everyone. Uh, it's Joshy here. You can find me on Twitter at DocJ underscore MUFC. Thanks for having me on. Uh, looking forward to the chat. Yeah, hi, I'm Jake. I'm a Newcastle fan, and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. We were a little worried about uh, getting guests with literally every place in the Premier League table up for grabs, save for Chelsea, who were the only ones that came in locked in at third. But very glad that both of you were able to make it today. I figure we just got to start off by talking about the day and the season on the whole. Obviously, the 21-22 Premier League season comes to a close with today's matches. What were you most surprised by today in terms of a result or in terms of league finish overall? Um, I think for today, when you think about the results, to be honest, um, the, the end results, I don't think there was anything too surprising Like going through the fixtures. I mean, at the start of the day, you'd have expected City and Liverpool to have both won and finish that way, although the way it went. That was surprising. Villa taking a two-goal lead, uh, you know, wasn't expecting that. Thought there was a a, a Steven Gerrard uh, story in the making here, but luckily, as a United fan, that didn't happen. Um, and again, when you look through some of the other results, I don't. Uh, I think probably Brighton beating West Ham is one that is maybe mildly surprising. As a Man United fan, I fully expected United to lose and and be dumped into the Conference League, um, but it turned out not to go that way so you know in terms of those individual results not so much of not too too many surprises uh, today I don't think um overall for the season again I think West Ham the you know you, you saw their finish at the end of last year but I think they're probably in terms of where they've ended up what maybe one of the surprises um but again broadly speaking I think Everton being Everton being 16th I don't think was was uh in, in many people's kind of books, they were very close to that relegation this season, which I don't know that at the beginning of the year people would have predicted. But overall, I think, to be honest, the, the Premier League is fairly, is broadly predictable. I mean, there's not too much um, you could sort of say in terms of league where you go, oh, they're not in the right spot, right? Spurs and Arsenal, there's a much, much that's about them. And Spurs finished fourth, Arsenal finished fifth. Um, but as you look through through the league table, it's really Man City and Liverpool are streets ahead of everyone else. Chelsea are probably in that next tier. And then everybody else, you could probably switch them around a bit. There's not too much. Uh, I just don't think the quality of the league is, is that good. And, and you wouldn't be surprised to, if you, know, you could interchange a lot of those clubs 
with one another. I mean, the fact that this Man United team finished sixth is is indicative of how poor this league is. Like, it, it's the worst Man United team I've watched and in my lifetime, sort of 30, well, 38 years or whatever it's been watching United. It's the worst team that I've watched and certainly the most unlikable with a zero goal difference. So, <laughs> and they finished sixth. It tells you exactly what you need to know about this league. So I think, Broadly, I'm not super surprised about much of what happened today or really how I obviously wanted United to build on their second place last year. But, uh, you know, as you, as we got through about quarter of the season, I knew it just wasn't going to happen. It's, it's, there's just nothing in this side. So, yeah, overall, unfortunately, not a great surprise and unfortunately not a super high quality league, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do agree with a lot of that. I think today with the... The surprise was Wolves and Villa scoring first, and then obviously Villa scoring another one. And, and at that point, you sort of thought it was Liverpool's league to lose. And, and as soon as he came back, and it was sort of reminiscent of when Aguero scored that goal. Um, obviously, not as dramatic, but it, it was very reminiscent. But apart from that, too, I don't think there was, there was a, a great deal of surprise. Um, and sort of following up on what Josh you said about the, the the quality of the league is is the fact that Newcastle finished eleventh in this league after not winning until December is 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 very bad on the league. Like that shouldn't happen. Um, it, I think there's just a lot of teams sort of going through the motions in this league, and but you, you saw Leicester finishing eighth as well. They've been terrible for for most of the season. They finished eighth, but. Doesn't speak well for a lot of the teams in the league. I think Villa spent a lot of money in the summer. Um, they were sort of quite ambitious and they didn't get close to fi- finishing that high. Um, Brighton often talks about as a, as a great team and, and great to watch, but again, they didn't really get close to, to challenging for those European spots. Uh, one surprise to me was probably Wolves finishing 10th. I think that's a, that's a strange position for them after being so high, but they have also been terrible for half the season, so you can't really complain too much of that. It's just, been a strange season. Um, it just feels like the Premier League now is it's difficult to compete with the top six, and it's also difficult to go down if you, if you're bad. It, it just feels like a lot of teams just clogging up the league. You look at uh, Leeds managing to stay up. Um, they've been quite bad for most of the season. Southampton have been terrible for the last three months. Like they've stayed up. Um, Everton as well couldn't have had a worse season and yet not going down. It just feels like the, the league is not very good at the moment, and um, there's a lot of bad teams staying up and a sort of um, bad teams sort of milling around the European places. It's it. It was an entertaining last day purely for what happened in those those games involving Liverpool, Man City, but ultimately the results were how we all expected them to go. So yeah, mm. it, it was an, it was an entertaining last day, but also. Nothing happened that was that surprising. Yeah, I think the the maybe biggest surprise for me was Leeds just outright beating Brentford, who had been on a really good roll there to to ensure their safety. And obviously, they scored pretty late to to make sure it was a win, but they didn't need it at that point. I don't believe uh, as Burnley were losing to you or Newcastle there, Jake. But yeah, Leeds staying up, I, I think, uh, was probably outside of obviously someone won the title, someone made top four, obviously City and Spurs. Uh, there respectively but I think Leeds winning to stay up is probably the next biggest story and I think you're right there are a lot of teams that were not very good that managed to stay up and it kind of feels like there's this middle class in between the championship and the Premier League where like 
four or five teams just keep switching between the two. Uh, obviously, still pending the championship f- playoff final, which is still to come, which could throw a bit of a wrench into that idea. But Watford and Norwich coming up and then immediately going back down. I, I don't think that shocked really anyone. A lot of people were worried about Burnley coming into the season. I think a lot of people were also worried about Palace, the way they had their like massive squad overhaul uh, and bring in Vieira, who hadn't coached it in the Premier League. Um, but obviously they end up being perfectly fine in 12th. Uh, and and you're, you're not wrong, Jake. Southampton, no wins in their last five, four of them being losses is uh, pretty rough. And, and on this show, we've largely praised Ralph Hasenhutl when things have gone even slightly well. But I think that's now three finishes, 15th or lower, since he joined, which uh, is not very promising for them. But yeah, ultimately, I am interested in you guys both saying that you think the quality of the league overall is down. Because it was super entertaining as a final day. And throughout the season, there were a lot of teams battling for a lot of things. But are we just thinking that it's the players or the managers? Or, or why do we feel like it's either a down year or a down period in the league overall? Um, for me, I just I just look at Arsenal and Tottenham going for that fourth position. I don't think either team has been very good this season, so for them to finish there, I think there's a lot of good managers in the league, but I think that the, there's obviously a lot of good players as well. I think it's definitely the best league in Europe when you look at the quality of, of each team. I think Watford have got a lot of good players. I think Burnley have got some good players. Obviously, Leeds have got Rafinha and, and Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips is a player that got to the European uh, Championship final last year. There's good players in the league. I just, I just don't see a lot of good teams. And Tottenham to get fourth is is a little bit of a, a disgrace. Manchester United struggling really after after spending a lot of money in the summer. Uh, people talking about title contenders, they weren't really close to that. I just think there's a lot of inconsistency in a, in a lot of the teams in this league and. It, may, it makes me struggle to really see many good teams. Like, if you ask me who who are the good teams in this league, I'd probably say Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, um, and I'd probably go down to like Brighton uh, and and Newcastle post the Eddie Howe appointment. And then after that, I just don't really see it. I don't, I don't think Tottenham are that great of a team. I think they're, they're built around two players. I don't think Arsenal are that good. They, I think they've. If, if they'd have lost today, it would have been the most losses they've ever had in Premier League season. So, can't really talk about them as a good team. It, it's the worst, it, close to the worst team in their own history. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I, I can't really put my finger on what makes why I think it's been a bad season, but there's not a lot that I look at and think, yeah, it's been really good. Uh, even Wolves, we would have spoken about as a good team previously, but they finished 10th and they, they've had an awful second half of the season, so it's difficult to really buy into them either. But yeah, I, Probably West Ham being a little bit unfair to they've had a good year, but aside from that, it's just been two teams dominating the league. Chelsea being fine, and then, and then a couple of teams outside of that doing quite well at certain periods. But I, 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 yeah, it's difficult to, to say exactly why. But just, I'm not completely buying it as a as a watcher of the Premier League. Yeah, I think I think I just think the overall quality is really poor, and then you've got two teams that are. Are really good. I think when you look at this, when you look around the the teams, a lot of them are in transition, or they've had some kind of um, overhaul, or there's been something that's been going on, right? So, and that actually you can say that across Europe, right? A lot of teams are like if you look at the Spanish league, even Real Madrid and Barcelona, they're kind of in between these cycles when they were great, and now they're sort of rebuilding a little bit. 
And I think that's true of a lot of clubs around Europe and actually a lot are true about a lot of clubs in the, in the Premier League. So, you know, this is Conte's first season at Tottenham. Well, it's not even a full season, right, at Tottenham. Um, so, you know, that's a kind of a transition piece. I don't think Arteta is a top-tier manager. I think he'll get found out uh, much in the way that Solskjaer did. Um, and you go through the league, I think there are some really solid managers and decent-ish teams. But when you think about the overall quality, you know, it's really poor. And I don't think that even if you look at the City team and the Liverpool team, right, as good as Liverpool have been and City, these aren't even the best Liverpool and City sides that I've watched. They're not they're, the best the, that we've seen from City in the past is, you know, that company, Toure, Ayaya Toure, Aguero team. That was a proper team. That team would walk all over this side. I just think that they're just a lot better than everyone else in the league and they just pick up points easily because just the rest, the rest of the league is, is so poor. And, and so they build through. Liverpool, I think there's a case for this team being really good. But again, I think it's more the case that everyone else is so poor. I mean, they won the two finals on penalties. Yes, they've got another final to go to. So yes, I'm not trying to downplay the achievements. But ultimately, they haven't won the league. And, and the City side, I don't think, are even the best City side that I've watched. Um, and overall, going through, is there anyone in the league that you could say the team is the best team of their kind of, even if you said the last 10 years? Is this the best mm. Chelsea side we've seen in 10 years? Is this the best Tottenham side we've seen in the last 10 years? Arsenal, United, just go through the league. And I, I think the answer is no. I just think everyone is at a point of some kind of rebuild. Potentially... You could say maybe West Ham, but then I think Brighton too. I think Brighton and the oh, yeah, Brighton. Yeah, Brighton on. are. Yeah, Brighton are. I think as a, but again, Brighton. Yes, they're good for the for their relative size and 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 who they are. But you wouldn't say they're a top level side, right? When you're talking about absolute terms. But yeah, no, you're right. They are. I mean, they absolutely humbled us tonight. So they're a good side in that regard. But yeah, just overall, the quality of this Premier League is just nowhere near the top that we've seen. When you talk about the height of quality, this is nowhere mm. near that. So it doesn't mean it's not entertaining, right? That that doesn't mean it's not entertaining. And, and United have been battered many times by teams. You know, I'm sure loads of teams have had, so there's been loads of great matches, um, you know, but in terms of overall actual footballing quality, it's not up there. Gotcha. Well, uh, I'm sure some people listening are going to be surprised to hear that because basically all year people have been talking about how great the season was. But I, I think you made a good delineation between what is entertaining and what is air quotes good. And Jake, I, I still think one of your earlier points is true that I still think it's probably the best league going at present just because anyone can beat anyone. But Maybe that is because the quality levels have dropped. Um, <clears throat> City obviously win the title today. That's four and five for Pep Guardiola and co., which is pretty wild in and of itself. It also led to a pitch invasion, the third of the week, if memory serves. Um, and in all three, there was an incident with a player on the other side or manager either being harassed or or attacked. And I was just curious your guys' thoughts on, on pitch invasions as a general practice and if there's some way to make it more safe or if there just needs to be, you know, far more security or, or far stricter rules that prevent it from happening. Yeah, look, I, it, I think you just, it, 
it's a case of player safety now. I mean, I, I understand the um, the emotions run high and, and you know, I, I'm not saying I've ever stormed pitch. I, I haven't done, but I can understand in, in, a, in a certain situation, people going into just losing their minds a bit and running on the pitch and they want to celebrate and, and, and sort of be part of something great. That being said, it only works if you don't act like an idiot. And, and there's, it's always the minority, right, that spoil it for the majority. And you can talk about it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not just about football. It's about sort of almost anything you can describe. There's always the small group and you have to cater for that small group. So now it's a case of, right, we now have to make sure that this never happens again. So you've got to put really strong sanctions in. You've got to make sure it never happens again. You punish those clubs and eventually fans will self-police, right? Because it's very difficult to just have barriers up or uh, enough security to stop it from happening. You've probably got to end up punishing those clubs and severely like points deducted, deductions, right? Not now, because I don't think that's the rules, but going forward to deter it, you've got to do something like that because just because some of the fans are idiots and they cut off and they do these stupid things. And, uh, and the more people do it, we know this, people will start escalating. Things will escalate. And then someone will have another idea to go on and do something even more idiotic. And it's, we've seen Billy Sharp was manager, right? Or coach, or whatever. He got headbutted. Patrick Vieira getting goaded on the pitch. That could have escalated. Then there was another one with an Everton fan with the flares in front of one of the Palace players. And then apparently today you guys told me uh, the Villa keeper got attacked. So eventually, if you keep allowing this to happen, people will escalate. It's just the way human beings are. And it'll get worse and worse until something really bad happens. So you've just got to sort of nip in the bud and start imposing really harsh sanctions on the clubs. And then eventually fans will self-police. Like if you know that you're team will get deducted three points or six points or whatever it is and you spot your mate about to jump in you'd say well you'd, you'd, you'd make sure it doesn't happen right because that's what the fans think about their club and their team is the greatest of all time to everyone and if you lose the points that's worse than actually the consequences of going on and assaulting someone so prison time or that kind of thing as a fan base you don't really care but if you're talking about sanctioning the club and points and stuff they do it's just the way it is unfortunately so i'd go with some harsh sanctions even though i do kind of understand why people want to do it they want to be part of the celebration they want to be on the pitch and be a piece of history and be a part of history but there's always the minority who ruin it for the for the um for the rest of the guys who might be out there doing it in a in a celebratory kind of way so you just got to come down hard on it i'm afraid yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but it's only really this season that, that things like these these assaults and players have been happening. You often see um, fans going onto the pitch and see the opposition player sort of downtrodden, sort of on the ground. But it's, I don't think I remember a case of the opposition player being attacked prior to the last few weeks. And it feels like the, the fact that it's been in the news so much is sort of encouraging other fans to, to do the same, which is just strange. Like today, Robert Olsen, there was a couple of fans that sort of went up to him and attacked him. And I think the good thing about City today was there were stewards right on the pitch. So Stewart had Robert Olsen before a fan came up to him, but they were just not in a position to stop any sort of assault going on. Which is, it's it is it is just really sad to see. Um, I don't I don't know if I I recommend 
point of deduction for any sort of pitch invasion, although I can see why he would perhaps do that. But if there is an assault or anything like that, definitely, definitely point of deduction. I think that um, not in Forest should, should if, they, if they lose their place in the playoff final because of that assault, um, I don't think I'd disagree with that. Um, the same with with Benolton today. If Manchester City would have points, Liverpool then win the league. I don't think I'd be opposed to that. It's, it, it is disgraceful behaviour. As a fan of a club, I can't imagine me being in that position where I've just got through to a playoff final or, or won the league, and then I can't imagine what goes through your head to then want to assault an opposition player. Surely you're just so high on the the jubilation of what your own team has done that the opposition become quite relevant at that point. Um, it does seem to be a big issue. I, I think the, the coverage of it, um, although it's bringing awareness of, of the issues um, of, of the pitch invasion, it, it's perhaps even encouraging further further cases of the same thing. Um, I'm I'm not convinced that Robin Olsen would have been assaulted had uh, had there been no coverage of of the issues of these pitch invasions in the last few weeks uh, at, um, at Everton and then at um, Obviously, uh, Nottingham Forest. I don't think that the same would have happened. So strange people. People are odd, and and they see themselves there in, a, in an opportunity to do the same thing, and and they'll do it. Um, yeah, it, it is horrible, and uh, I'm not sure what the answer is. I think pitch invasions for um, points deductions for any pitch invasion might just be the way forward. Because even though I disagree with it. Because the pitch invasions have previously been quite a harmless thing, maybe that it needs to be that strong to prevent um, any sort of harm to the players. The players should, should it, they're, they're at the place of life; they should not never be under threat of, of physical harm. I think that's, that's disgusting. Um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I, I see why why people want to get on the pitch. I, I mean, at the Agüero, the Agüero goal a few seasons ago, I don't think that um, there were City fans who had a pitch invasion. It seems to be the end thing. And um, yeah, so how it ended up today, they 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 really should have should have been better. They, they've seen the coverage of what's happened at, at Everton and, and Nottingham Forest, and, and yet they've they've done the same thing and sort of soured the occasion. No, exactly, and that's why I think you need you need to come down on it quite hard, right? Because, like you say, I think these people see first of all, this is not you would you wouldn't say this is normal fan behaviour because even I've been involved in. I've gone to matches where United have come back and won, you know, won the, uh, from a from a from two nil down, won the game. You're sort of ecstatic at the end of the match. Yes, we, I know we talk about a league title win, but it's not not it's not like every season a league title win occurs. People are running on the pitch. This is because it's happened a couple of times. The people have seen it, they do it, and then it's this someone sees someone else get assaulted and sort of go, oh, I can do this, and it escalates just because that's. What idiots do? They they see and they copy and it escalates. It's just uh, and that's why I think you've just got to now nip it in the bud until before something uh, really really serious happens. And uh, there have been like major injuries and, and recently some sort of crushes. That, and I'm not talking about now in the in, in the Premier League. I'm talking like in Germany. I think recently there have been some pretty serious incidences as well. Um, and, and it's not just the players and the, the coaches you're trying to protect. It's also other people, other fans, right? They might not want to be part of this invasion. And you've got people trying to run through the crowds, trying to get on the pitch. And they, I think it was a Schalke recently. There was a, like a fan, fan crush, basically. Lots of injuries. I don't know that 
there obviously nothing more serious happened. That, but we know we've seen heard things about uh, in the past. We've seen that, and I read about a um, a sexual assault. Apparently, the woman was be was basically groped and attacked during one of these pitch invasions. So it's just mm-hmm. stupidity and idiocy, and that these people. I just ruin it, I think, for, for, for everyone else, to be honest. And it, I may sound like a grump. I do understand that emotions run high, but I think it, it get, when it gets out of hand like this, you're, you're just kind of ruining it for other people as well. Yeah, and I think that's right. And I really hope that you haven't kind of prophesied what might happen, which is all of this will be discussed, nothing serious will be done, and then there will be serious harm caused to somebody. Um, and like a player getting meaningfully hurt or, you know, something worse if weapons were involved or something like that before it's like fully stopped. You, Just the Premier League is always so reactive. To, I was going to say, it doesn't have to be a weapon, does it? Because that, you saw that Everton fan on the pitch wave, waving those flares about. You can do serious damage with those if you stick it in someone's face. That's not a weapon. Yeah, it's totally. not designed to be a weapon, but it's still... And this is the thing, like people get all sorts of things like smug, not you know, you're not actually allowed to have those on the, in the crowd and, you know, whatever, have it in the crowd and have a bit of fun. But you just never know. There's always some idiot who will try something and it'll get out of hand. This is just yeah. how it escalates, isn't it? And I think the flare thing is, is even furthers your point about people seeing it and then doing it. I don't really remember seeing many flares at Premier League matches over the past few years. And this season, it seems like there's been some at every match um, when there have been big moments. So... Yeah, maybe maybe the leniency has led to too much leeway. And as you were saying, we're we're kind of societally in a race to the bottom right now. And I think that's just kind of being evidenced um, in, in match-going groups as well. Uh, we'll leave that there for now and move on to some player awards. I initially thought that De Bruyne and Foden had won Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year through the PFA Awards. But apparently that's not true. Apparently the Premier League just has their own ones now to also go along with the Football Writers Association. So you could have three different players of the year, but these are the ones that were announced by the Premier League. And I was wondering what you guys made of, of De Bruyne winning player and, and Phil Foden winning young player of those awards. Um, yeah, I think reasonable choices. I think when you when you have seen a few comments made about De Bruyne and, and not really being as productive as say, Salah in terms of goals and assists. But the thing with Kevin De Bruyne is not just his... Um, he, he isn't just about his goals and assists. Not that Salah is as well, but the way he plays the game, he dictates, he dictates play, he controls the game for City. When he's on it, City are on it. He's, he's like on another level. So I think it's a reasonable choice. You could probably say the same as what I've just said about Kevin De Bruyne as Mo Salah, right? When he's on it, Liverpool are on it. And whatnot, but I think either would have been a reasonable choice. Salah is always going to get more goals and assists. Uh, De Bruyne is not not it doesn't operate in the same area, but he's still very productive in that regard, and is a top level player. He's like one of the best midfield players we've seen in the Premier League. He's outstanding. So for me, yes, you can argue other players again, reasonable choice, and you'd probably say similar about Phil Foden. I think Bukayo Saka, Arsenal's had a reasonably good season. Um, and but again, Foden has been. I think he's played close to thirty times in the league this year. Age of twenty-one in in a city side that is not short of stars, right? So he's doing pretty well for himself, and he's productive. He he's very much part of the way City play. So again, I think reasonable choices. Um, 
you could probably argue for other people as well. Like I think Declan Rice has had a pretty good year. I'm not a massive. Uh, I had to whenever I watch Declan Rice play against a really top side, I haven't been super impressed. But in, as with regards to how West Ham play and his contribution to that team and where they are in the league, he's he's had a very good season and he's still sort of eligible for the the trophies. You could argue he should be up there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I to be honest. I think it's reasonable. Kevin De Bruyne and Phil Foden, they they were integral to City winning the league. So, yeah, for me, no no complaints. I don't think it's super controversial. It is difficult to argue against those. So I think with Kevin De Bruyne, it's been a lot of recency bias. Um, I think he had the best first half of the season, um, whereas Salah was quite sort of superhuman for the first half. Um, but... It does seem that, that what's happened in the last few months to impact these votes. Um, be interesting to see how the PFA would go, but I'd, I'd probably guess in a similar way. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I've never been really one for individual awards. I just don't really think they're, they're that important. Um, often, it's often the way that the manager of the year is the one that went to Premier League. Um, the player of the year comes from the team that won the Premier League. Um, and it's the same with the young player of the year. Um, I think the young player of the year award is a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. I'd rather sort of see an award given to the sort of a player that that hasn't played sort of ten to twenty pro leagues games before. So sort of give it it's sort of an Americanism, uh, which might 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 suit you, Kev. But hmm. sort of the rookie the rookie of the year, yeah. something like that, might be a, a better award to give out. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's who would be your about, rookie of the year? Um, I mean that is a great Break question. <laughs> I don't have a have, a, have an answer to. Um, yeah, I don't have an answer to. I think Jared Bowen for me is one that I'd love to give an individual award to. Not quite a rookie, but um, his achievement to West Ham that he's got close to 30, 30 goals and assists, which is incredible for a player playing at playing for West Ham. I don't think we've ever seen that. Um, I don't know, rookie of the year. I don't have a name, like unfortunately. It doesn't need to be rookie of the year, but like Jared Bowen sounds like breakthrough yeah, player of the year. Exactly, yeah. I think he'd be a great, great player for an individual award. I think he's had a, a great season and one that nobody predicted. Um, he scored so many goals. He's, he's got a lot of goals, got, got quite a few assists. Um, yeah, he's definitely one that I'd love to see win the individual award because it's been a, such a great season for him. And yeah, he sort of comes away. West Ham sort of qualifying for the Conference League, something that they, they they did better than last season. He's not really winning much himself. It, it seems like he'd be he'd be a great case for somebody to win an individual award. But yeah, for the for the for the actual awards, it would be interesting to see if the PFA goes the same way. But Kevin De Bruyne for me, I don't think he's had the best season. He's just had a really good three to four months, and and even though three to four months, so we expect from him. So yeah. Just one of the, one of those things. Phones had a great year, but then he could probably win the Young Player of the Year again next year, which seems odd there. If you couldn't, if you weren't eligible, if you'd already won it, that might not be a bad little tweak. Yeah, and, and Conor Gallagher for me, as, as Josh just said, he, he'd probably be a great candidate for rookie of the year as I just put forward. I uh, didn't have him myself, but yeah, definitely, definitely, he's had a great year and. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I think that'd be that'd be a great thing, Kevin. If if they couldn't win Young Player of the Year, if they had already won it, I think there was that sort of period where Sterling was nominated every year for, for about 
six and seven. Yeah, it's when they go up there ridiculous. Yeah, I think Bale, Kane, and Delhi were all nominated in multiple years. I don't know if any of them won it back to back. I think Kane's won a young and a full player. But yeah, it's it's very odd and the rules are way too old. Uh, for Rookie of the Year, if you don't mind me jumping in and evangelizing for my own team too much, Dejan Kulosevsky ended the season with five goals and nine assists and ended in the last week of, and entered the league in the last week of January. Um, and still just 21, may have turned 22 since joining. But um, th- there's, an, there's a shout for that. And uh, I also was planning on being, you know... Uh, righteous fury about Sun not even being nominated for player of the year here, considering he just was joint with Salah for the golden boot. But I, I do also want to mention that people may have heard me talk about this on the show. Sun basically wasn't good from like October to December. He just kept scoring goals. And then at some point eventually found the form while the goals kept coming. Um, so some of those uh, goals kind of mass performances that were a little bit iffy, but not very often do you end up with somebody with the golden boot not even being nominated but as jake says we'll wait to see what the official pfa ones are i still wonder if if that's the one people are going to take more seriously other than the premier league just deciding to kind of have their own but i guess we'll see on that Uh, i figure we'll wrap up this section by just asking you guys what was your favorite club and or league moment of the year oh my god i don't have that many to pick from Um, (laughs) well you had you had two very exciting wins against tottenham one of which gave us the manager we needed I mean, the, the, yeah, I guess Cristiano Ronaldo's hat-trick against Spurs was pretty, was pretty great. But I wouldn't call it necessarily a highlight. We sort of watched that, but we still sort of went, yeah, we're still shit. There's no, like, <laughs> <laughs> we're still a poor team. So if I think back, it would probably be uh, Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo scoring two goals against uh, Newcastle at the, towards the beginning of the season because it was kind of like, oh, you know, he's not lost it. He's, one of them was where he picked it up. One touch, pace, bang, left foot. And it was kind of, we still had hope at that stage of the season. So for me, it felt like a highlight at the time. Although, of course, uh, it didn't mean anything in the end because United had been really poor. But at the time, we were thinking, ooh, this, this could be something cool to watch with Cristiano Ronaldo spearheading uh, a challenge for us. So I'll pick that as my uh, highlight of the season. I think that was in at the early part of September. So that's a long time ago. Uh, but that would be that would be a time of hope and uh, um, and obviously a, a nice comfortable win for us. So I'll pick that. Yeah, I think I think club of the, club of the season. Um, I think Brentford have been a great story. Um, they're coming up to the league and, and sort of stabilising and doing very well. You obviously got Christian Eriksen there as well, which is which is a nice sort of side story to, to what's happened in the Premier League this year. Um, obviously. The best moment for me this year has been Newcastle being taken over. Um, obviously, I have my own issues with with the the owners that we have now, but we've it, under Mike Ashley, it's just a joyless experience of supporting the club, and and the fact that now we don't have that, and we've got owners that that are ambitious and trying to to move things on. And I think in the if you if you look at the last nineteen games of the season, which which would represent half of the season, Newcastle would be third in that league table. So that's Sort of shows the impact the new ownership, the new signings Eddie Howe has made, um, and sort of gives us a glimpse of what can happen in the future. Like if we, if we're performing that sort of form now, if we sign three or four more very good players like Bruno Gimmerish, where could we be next season? Uh, and and as we spoke about earlier, the Premier League is not very good at the moment, so it wouldn't really take much for Newcastle to then be challenging for European positions. Um, 
I'd love to finish to, to qualify for the Europa League next year, but even the Champions League doesn't seem that much beyond us at this point if, if we maintain that level of form and that consistency. So, yeah, definitely got to be the takeover for me as, as the moment of the year. But for the club of the year, got, got to be Brentford. I think they've had a great season. And um, great to see a club that could come up through the league. So they were not in League Two too long ago. And I don't think they've got the money behind them that Bournemouth did when they came up uh, at the time relative to the Premier League. Bournemouth had quite a lot of money in their ownership. So they Brentford have got the same and I think that they've gone about it the right way. They, they use analytics. They're, they're quite um, shrewd about how they scout. They've carried a manager with them. Uh, I think he, he first began his season coach to Dean Smith, became manager, got them promoted and now he's stabilised in the Premier League, got uh, nominated for manager of the year. It is a fantastic story and it's an example to those clubs that are uh, maybe perhaps League Two, League One Championship. You can get into the Premier League and you can stabilise there. You don't need to spend loads of money to do it. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great story and one that's a massive win um, against sort of modern football. Yeah, for me, I, I think mine's off the pitch as well. Or I guess technically it was on it. It was uh, Nuno's substitution of Lucas for, for Bergwijn after Lucas was actually having a pretty decent match. And then after that match, I uh, hopped on Twitter and said that there was no point in keeping Nuno Espirito Santo as manager because Tottenham were literally bad in every category and every statistic you could look up. And I got a lot of people like telling me that I was being too reactionary and that they were surprised in me as somebody that used to work in the industry that I would you know, fall to such narratives and stuff. And then I woke up to the news that Nuno got sacked and then it led to the hiring of Antonio Conte. Uh, so that whole thing was uh, pretty interesting. And again, kind of thanks to Joshi in that regard that if United had lost that match, they might have pulled the trigger on Conte, although apparently there was some stuff between Ronaldo and Conte that may have prevented that from happening anyway. But that helped us get Conte. Jake helped us get top four. I'm, I'm very appreciative of the two people on this show today and their clubs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can I change my highlight? You sure can. I'm going to change my highlight to my son. I got signed up for a local club team in in Switzerland, and he played his first uh, tournament at the weekend. They played eight and won eight, and in the first match they won 18 goals to two, and he scored Ooh. seven. So that'll be my highlight of the season. <laughs> so pretty reminiscent of, of De Gea's comments about the end of the season, which we'll get to in the in the club section. But yes, I, I think if we're doing off off Premier League pitch stuff, that's definitely a worthy inclusion. Uh, <laughs> on the pitch, I'd say Kane's header against City to to make it six points that we took off of City this year uh, was pretty was pretty incredible. And Jake already mentioned the the non Tottenham one, which was Christian Eriksen coming back. And in and when Eriksen played Tottenham, he took a corner and he was getting chanted incredibly loudly. So that was nice. But also that, that first moment of him just first coming back on the pitch. And then he's still got some goals, got some assists. Ivan Tony really thrived basically the second Ericsson started playing meaningfully for Brentford. But all of those I found to be pretty great stories. Uh, all right, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. 
With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, and we are back. Joshy, I wasn't kidding. We'll start off with the David De Gea quote, which was, the best thing that happened today was that the season ended, which feels like a super scathing review of what happened at United this year. Obviously, a lot of people felt you'd be in the top four with some of the, the big-name signings that you'd brought in, in attack, in defense, and not so much the midfield, which might have been the problem. Uh, but I was just curious from you, is, is that like the resounding feeling of United fans, just that you're glad that it's over and that you can just look forward to whatever's coming under Ten Hag? I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, it's not quite over. Uh, we still do have, we are still emotionally invested in the Champions League final. So, you know, we're <laughs> hoping for a, ben- a Benzema masterclass to cement his Ballon d'Or um, uh, in that one. But yeah, focusing on actually the, uh, the actual club. Yeah, absolutely. This has been one of those seasons where, I mean, look, it's all relative, obviously. We finished sixth, right? And for a lot of clubs, that would be great. But in terms of the, I guess the, I don't want to say the expectation, but when you spend the amount of money that this club has spent since, I don't know, in the last seven, eight years, you would expect that you've got a squad that's, you know, built to challenge. And we're not talking small, we're not talking chop change, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of millions spent um, in, in that time. And you've got an absolutely broken squad. And you could see there's some players where you could just see they just switched off, like, you know, for um, for whatever reason, I think Marcus Rashford is mentally there's something not right there. He just he looks like a broken man, not just a broken footballer. I think there's just something going on there. He needs help. Uh, the likes of Jesse Lingard, uh, just when they play, just no effort. And then these are some of the fringe players. But then like Bruno Fernandez, who's the one of our should be one of our best players, absolutely shocking. Uh, season from him in terms of his individual performances. I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I would say there's probably two players or three players that in any other season wouldn't be at risk of leaving the club. Like David de Gea, he's the one that made that comment. But if it wasn't for the fact that the entire team is a disaster zone, he would be one of the first people that would be out. So if you, for example, you put David de Gea, you swapped him into the City team. Or the Liverpool team, he would be, you would be upgrading him. He's a good player, but he's not up at the elite level. Luckily for him, um, if he wants to stay at United, that luckily for him, there are so many areas in this squad where we lack quality and quantity that it would be it would be foolish to start looking at upgrading De Gea because at least he's good. You know, you can look across into the central midfield. I don't think we have that many good players. Um, certainly nobody in that elite level and when you look across the squad I'd say you know the only player that's really come out of this season without a tarnished reputation is Cristiano Ronaldo and he's what 37 years old 38 years old he's yes he had a bit of a dip but in the end still our top scorer still you know banged in a couple of hat tricks won us points a number, several winners throughout the season um 
So, and, and he's 38 years old. You'd say Jadon Sancho is kind of, he hasn't lit the Premier League alike, but you can see flashes, so you keep him. Um, then beyond that, Rafael Varane, you kind of say, okay, fair enough. The whole team was rubbish this whole year. You, we know you've got quality because we've seen it in the past. Give him another chance uh, to sort of bring that through in the, in the next year. Beyond that, I can't think of too many. Anthony Alanga, because he's a young guy and he does put an effort in, right? That's the thing with him. The, the most damning indictment of this squad is that when Juan Mata has been playing in the last few weeks, he has put in more effort and shown more desire than anybody else I've seen this whole season. And that guy, when he runs, he looks like he's going backwards. His legs have gone, right? So I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of this team go um, and then what we've got to do is we don't need in this summer, we shouldn't be building towards a challenge, a title challenging team, right? We shouldn't be going out going, here's 150 million and signing two players if we even have 150. But if we do have, say, that level of money, we should be signing a lot of players who are going to give you that sort of seven out of 10 every week, solid performance as we build back that base and the foundation of the squad. Um, Solid, solid, get into that sort of top four space and then start adding in those sprinkles of quality. Um, it's a bit, I guess, a bit like what Liverpool have done since Klopp, where they signed the likes of Mane. You know, he wasn't a fashionable signing when they got him from Southampton. So you do need a coach who can bring, bring the best out of these players. But then they added in the top level quality, like shelling out a ton of cash for the likes of Van Dijk, um, Allison. Um, uh, you know, this uh, Luis Diaz, you know, they've, they've added in those top level quality players, but they built that foundation through excellent coaching, obviously, but all, and astute signings. Um, whilst United have been trying to sort of fix gaps with what they consider to be big marking signings, but they're not doing it to any kind of blueprint or structure or sort of plan or strategy. So you end up with a bunch of players who just don't complement each other and, and really don't. You know, there's a mishmash of nonsense throughout the team. So yeah, I'm, I'm, to answer your question, we're done with this season. I'm looking forward to seeing what Ten Hag can do. I don't. To be fair, I, I don't know a huge deal about him. I, I know I've watched that Ajax side; they look very good. But I always feel like Ajax are a system club, so you need that infrastructure. You need that everyone is on the same page. That's why a lot of their players, when they leave the club, haven't really gone on to do super well. So, you know, De Ligt at Juventus has, hasn't really shone and he was their captain. He was their, like, jewel. Uh, Frankie de Jong at Barcelona, I think he's done okay, but he hasn't really sort of, again, hit the same heights. We all know Donny van der Beek at United has been poor. Ziyech at Chelsea, again, he's been in and out the side. So I wonder, I have still got, I do wonder whether Ten Hag can, I know it's a manager, not a player, but whether he also needs that kind of system and infrastructure around him to allow him to build the squad, we'll see if he's allowed that. So, it, you know, you have to be optimistic. Otherwise, what's the point in being a fan? And it is a fresh start. So at least we come in with a bit of fresh hope. And, and he does have pedigree. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, but he's got a massive job on his hands. I don't rate this team in terms of mentality, uh, in terms of their attitude and their application. Yes, they've got talent, but we know that talent only gets you so far. And this team finishing sixth, I would say that is that is a false position. This is a team that would have been flirting with the 
the bottom end of the table if it wasn't for individual moments of brilliance from the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo throughout the season. So there's a lot for him to do. Um, so we, we end, we're glad the season's done. I'm hoping we make some good signings and Ten Hag can do something uh, with what we have uh, going forward. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I'm not sure which side of this exercise would be shorter or easier, but which players do you think are definitely safe or which players do you think are definitely out the door? Uh, there's a long list who are definitely out the door, right? So Matic, we know, is going. Juan Mata, actually, I thought Juan Mata would definitely be going, but he may be staying on in a coaching-type capacity or like a player-coach capacity, I'm not sure. Lingard is going. Um, we'll get rid of Phil Jones. We'll get rid of uh, Pogba is going. Um, Anthony Marshall will probably go. He's coming back from loan from Sevilla, but he'll probably go. We'll be looking to sell on Juan Bissaka um, and, and get someone in there. Did I say Phil Jones? He'll be off. Phil Dean Henderson's probably going to go. Um, yeah, you, you could start reeling off quite a lot of players. And when you start doing that, when you start taking these players out, you end up with like central midfield being a seriously under, not just understocked in terms of numbers, but, but also quality. So we'll end up with Fred and McTominay as our only two senior midfielders. Because we're going to lose Pogba, we're going to lose Matic. I don't, I don't put Bruno Fernandez in there as a sort of central midfielder. He's more like that number ten attacking midfielder or, or coming in from wide. So he's more of an attacker. Um, so yeah, it's just, there's a lot of areas where you see players will probably leave. You've got Eric Bailly, who's still at the club. He'll probably go. Um, yeah, I think there's there's a ton of players. Cavani's going to be leaving. Uh, for sure. Who else? Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on there, right? In terms of outgoings, um, and then you could argue, like I said, you could argue anyone anyone is at risk of being sold. I don't think anyone is. Like Cristiano Ronaldo might decide to leave. I mean, if it was up to me, I would definitely keep him. But he may decide to leave because he wants to have one final shot in the Champions League with someone. I don't know who that might be. Um, and uh, yeah, you'd say you have to keep Jaden Cho because we signed him for a lot of money and he does have that quality just we haven't used him well aside from those two anybody really would be up for for being transferred out and De, like I said earlier De Gea is only he's only safe because the rest of the squad is so poor and, and needs to be um, addressed so yeah it's 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 a lot of work for, for, for Ten Hag mm. but in theory a lot of money coming in which could help fund Ten Hag's coming team but you're not wrong Ajax is a very well-structured club and kind of self-operates and anybody that leaves it can have some issues as uh, <laughs> some of our palace friends will know I very much wanted to bring in De Boer over Pochettino and I would have looked like a tremendous idiot <laughs> if that had happened maybe I already do um all right Jake we'll come to you to talk now about Newcastle you mentioned earlier uh the fact that you were able to recover all the way to 11th and basically just the back half of the season was both incredible on your end but also maybe a testament to some iffiness in, in the quality of the Premier League but a lot of people had you going down at the start of the season at the midway point of the season obviously you bring in Eddie Howe, you get the new ownership, you bring in several players, uh, first team players there in January, but just how impressed are you by the turnaround of what the perception was beforehand to where you finally ended up? Yeah, it's been, it's been a great second half of the season. Um, 
and it is easy to point to the money that was spent in January. It's definitely easy to do that. But it, at, at the turn of the year, Newcastle were 19th, and they won one game in the first 19 matches. Like that is relegation form times 100. That is just relegation. You, you can't be good doing that. And second off of the season, in our final 19 games, we did we came out third out of every single team. So shows the turnaround, and you, it, it is easy to point to the money, but. Even with money, that turnaround from 19th to third, like people say, 100 million is not that much to spend anymore. Uh, we've seen Manchester United spend that, we've seen Everton spend that. Um, and to, to go mid season without, without pre season on your, on your style, to go from being the 19th best team in the league to the third best team in the league, it, it's a, it is an incredible turnaround and one I don't think we've seen in the Premier League before. So it's, um, it's definitely the money's a factor, the takeover's a factor. Um, and 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 I'm sure for the next three to four years, we'll go on in this podcast. And money is definitely going to be a factor in in our achievements, but it's not the only it's not the only factor. Um, Eddie Howe's done an incredible job. He's sort of proven his critics wrong. He's gone from being the man that relegated Bournemouth, uh, a manager that Steve Bruce sort of poked fun at when he was at Newcastle, saying, "Oh, everyone, you know, what about the the, the guy that relegated Bournemouth? Uh, how am I compared to him?" He sort of sort of put that in a, in a comment and. It's chalk and cheese. He's he's an incredible young English manager. Um, Graham Potter gets a lot applauded. I think Eddie Howe's right up there with him, if not better. Um, it's, it's incredible to to stay off from that position. I I think there was a point where when a lot of these sort of predictors had had Newcastle sort of eighty four percent to go down, and the money helped. But even the money, Trippy has been out injured for for much of his time here. He's probably played about seven or eight games. Bruno Gimresh didn't really start until we were outside of the relegation zone. Um, Chris Wood has scored two goals. It's not like these players have come in and, and absolutely ripped it up. Uh, they've, they've played their part, but they've not absolutely been incredible. Um, aside from, from Bruno Gimresh uh, for the last three months, he, he's definitely one of the best midfielders in the league. I, I think I'd only look at City and perhaps argue that he might not get into that team, but the rest of everything else the team in the league he'd get into. I don't think it's, it's, it's that much of a conversation. Um, so yeah, hopefully we get more players like that. I think I think even if we look back to when Eddie Howe took over, I think we're, we're sixth in the league in that period. So if you think we're going to... Part of that part of that time was, 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 that, was, was without the January signing. Um, if we sign four or five quality players this summer, there is nothing stopping Newcastle challenging for, for European positions next season. Um, I think as a fan, I sort of thought it's going to be a slow progress, a slow process to, to build up to that. But if you look at the season alone and what's happened and said how to go, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's going to be that much of a slow process. I think that we can be right up there next season. Um, I think we finished eleventh after sort of not even. Playing part of the season, um, 19th after after 19 games, we finished 11. If we obviously the second half of the season, we've had our, our fortune. It's probably it's probably unlikely we're going to replicate that form. But even if we sort of sort of have a little bit against us, there's nothing stopping us challenging that sort of six or seven spot, perhaps even higher, depending on the quality of player we bring in. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been it's been an incredible half of the season, and I think. Newcastle are probably one of the, the most forward progressing teams in the league. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a team that progresses more than Newcastle over the next 
five or six seasons. Yet that's down to who owns the club, but it, it, it's it's inevitable. And I think next season's going to be a very good one. And I'd be surprised if we didn't finish in the top eight. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is fair. Uh, the other big turning point was obviously uh, switching Joel Linton's position from a striker that couldn't score to Musa Dembele 2.0. I just figured, uh, especially because we kind of talked about it a little bit pre-show, that you probably just want a soapbox to talk a little about Joel Linton. So here it is. Yeah, I think this has been one of the the stories of the Premier League. I think of a of, of, of a player signed the forty million pound a club record signing, um, sort of flopping as a, as a centre forward at Newcastle, um, and to to have the mentality to bounce back from that and then progress under a new manager. He, he Joe Linton is a player that I think he spends a lot of time with with analysts from Brazil, sort of working on his game over over Skype and whatnot, and. Um, He's, he's a player that's quite serious. A, a, a lot of Newcastle players have given up on him. A lot of Newcastle fans have given up on him. Uh, and now he has probably one of the most well-known chants uh, he's sung about so often. He's um, he, he really should be considered for the Brazilian World Cup squad. I, I, I'm not even exaggerating on that. He's, he's been one of the best players in the Premier League um, post-November. He probably, I think he does lead the tackles and interceptions during that time. He's had such a great, great half season. Um, this is a player that has played played as a centre forward or as a as a wide forward for all of his career, and he's he's done so well as a as a central midfielder. Today, it sort of ended on a on a sour note for him. He got stretched off after about twenty minutes um, with quite a deep cut on his on his leg. But it seems that it's it, all it is is a deep cut, and it's not going to be something that rules him out long term. And he'll be back for three seasons. So yeah, it's been great. It's such a good season, uh, and I've always been quite a fan of him, even when it was going poorly. I could sort of see that the physical attributes he had. He was quite good in the air. He always worked hard, pressed high. Um, he just needed uh, a coach that, that that built built a system that got the best out of him, and he has that now. He was never a centre forward. He's he's still very poor in 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 the opposition area. I think he's got four or five goals this season, but he, uh, that's never a game he's not good at. But yeah, but miss a Dembele comparison. He's got a long way to go to to sort of match what Dembele did in the Premier League. But there's comparisons there. Dembele started as a centre forward. He sort of got moved back um, and became very good at, at winning the ball back, recovering the ball, and sort of being that heartbeat of the team. And I think Joel Linton's definitely on the same journey. Trippier spoke about both of them and sort of drawn those comparisons too, and he's a player that's played with both of them. So, yeah, he's had a great, great season, uh, deserving Newcastle Player of the Year, um, and probably deserving of, of still a lot more plaudits and respect uh, league-wide than he's got. But... Yeah, he's had a great half season, and he's a player that he's one that I could progress in Newcastle. If we go up into the Europa League and Champions League, I think he's definitely going to be there with us. Um, and there's not going to be many that that completes that journey. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely one of them. Gotcha. Well, yeah, certainly curious to see how his progression continues to go, but certainly turn things around for himself and, and potentially his long term career future there uh okay i figure we'll wrap up by talking a little player watch and i just wanted to ask you guys which position <laughs> you'd most like your club to strengthen for next season <laughs> i think um everywhere oh no <laughs> i think if if I, if I had to pick one i would i would just love for us to get in a proper central midfielder um like so when you look at the team that we have like Matic, if you put Matic, Fred, and McTominay together, took their attributes and put them into one, that would be like one 
very good midfielder. It's just that they don't, they're all, unfortunately, three players. Like Matic's passing has improved a lot since he's been at the club. And he's like the best passer in that midfield trio. Fred has got good work rate, but he's like a complete just liability. His passing isn't so great. And then Tomane's got good sort of physical attributes. And, and again, he's got good aggression. So you put all that together, work rate, good passing and aggression. You've probably got a pretty good midfielder. It's, a, it's just a shame that it's in three of them. So I would definitely look at if we could strengthen that area properly, uh, I think that's that would be a really good start for us. I just think it was an area of massive weakness and we should have uh, brought someone in last year. So for me, that's got to be a high priority. But when you look through the squad, Cristiano Ronaldo is our starting striker, 38. So you know that we have a, an issue there. Look, we, we discussed Mason Greenwood in a previous podcast. Uh, he shouldn't play for the club again. So, But what that does mean is there is a gap there as well, right? So in terms of that, that attacking those attacking positions, especially when you consider the drop off from Rashford. So you've got to look at those areas. Uh, so yeah, those two probably the biggest priorities. Uh, but uh, you could argue any position needs to be strengthened. Like just everywhere all across the whole pitch, we have serious issues in terms of quality and quantity. So as I said earlier, Tim Hag, well, he's just got a lot of work to do. Um, but certainly those that midfield, centre of the field area would be my number one priority, given we're like at current, as things stand, we would he uh, we're heading into next season with Fred and Tommy as our only centre of the field. They shouldn't be anywhere near the starting line. Yeah, I think for Newcastle, it's, it's definitely a striker. Um, if Cam Wilson could stay fit for a season, I don't think it'd be as much of a priority, but as he cannot... It's definitely a position we need to strengthen. I think Chris Wood has done his job, but he's not going to take us where we want to go. Um, I, 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 I have it on fairly good authority that um, you can't in, in talks with, with Darwin Nunes, Alexander Isaac, or uh, Dominic Albert Lewin. So I wouldn't be surprised to see one of those join. I think that, that talks have already started with, uh, with each of them, or at least with their agents. So it's definitely the position that Newcastle are trying to strengthen. Um, and yeah, I, I can see the sort of the, the value of each of them. Obviously, Nunes is a player that is, is, is touted as one of the, the next future startup in massive coup. Um, Isaac has sort of gone off the gone off the, the radar a little bit because he's had a quite poor season, but he's got all the physical attributes to do well in the Premier League and cover Lewin, so everything they're gonna need to sell. And he sort of has similar attributes to Callum Wilson. Um still down to his injury record as well. So um, yeah, I think I definitely think a strike is going to be high on the agenda for us. I think we're going to try and sign probably three or four players of that calibre uh, and maybe a couple of younger players because we, we have been short of young players this season. But we've got quite an old squad. We don't have many players that are developing. Um, in January, we tried to sign Ekatike uh, from, uh, I think it's Rennes or um, something like that. So yeah, I think a couple of players like that, he might he may come in. Um, that's a player that's been heavily linked, he's got all wide forward, centre forward compared to Mbappe. So yeah, it'd be be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, definitely strikers. We need we need more goals in the team. It, it's been the, the the thing we've been lacking. And there's definitely been movement on that made already. Um so yeah, I'd expect something like that to come in. And that's probably the biggest weakness. Um sort of somebody to support and compete with Alan Wilson. Um and somebody to play the majority of the games when he's out. 
Gotcha. Well, I hope both of you are able to fill those holes in your squads. Uh, and with that, it's a wrap, both for this episode and for the season at large. There will be one more show, the the split one with Dave Hendrick over at EPL Index and the Infield Index. Uh, that'll be coming in about a week or so. But for now, thanks so much to Jake and to Joshy and to every, every guest that came on throughout the season. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.